0: Good morning, everybody. I'm impressed to see the auditorium full, since it was the gala dinner yesterday night. But thank you for being here. And first of all, I would like to express my sincere gratitude to have been invited to the 2019 Lieber Conference as keynote speaker. I am both honoured and enthusiastic to have been given this opportunity to speak from my point of view as university president about a matter that for me is really at heart and to which I also devote a great deal of time. I believe it's necessary because I'm convinced that this transition to open science is important from so many points of view, of which I will here address only a few. We don't know everything about the future, but we certainly know that there is no way back. While it is easy to agree about the general vision of open science, the task to actually make this transition happen is a much more delicate issue. And as I wrote in my abstract, politicians, publishers, research finances, libraries, university managements, and not least the researchers themselves, who are really key to the process, all want and need to have that say. I think the divergent opinions on Plan S as well as on the Coalition S update is but one, albeit important, example of the complexity of these questions. And in the following, as Christina said, I will attempt to outline both some cornerstones but also some stumbling stones uh, during this process of transition. I would like to divide my talk into three sections. First of all, Uh, I will give you a short personal background to my own entry into these matters as a researcher. Secondly, I would like to talk about when open access or open science from being the matter of librarians only also became the matter of university leadership, again from my own experience in Sweden. Thirdly, I want to address some of the remaining challenges in this transitional process that we all struggle with from different perspectives. My main perspective will be, my main focus will be on open access, but I will also at the end very shortly touch upon research data. And I want to give you a warning here that all my three perspectives are experience-based and rather down-to-earth, rather than theoretically or methodologically oriented. And I have no fancy PowerPoint to distract you, so you will have to bear with the talk only, so I'm happy that at least you will (laughs) see this drawing on, on screen. But after these initial excuses, let me just start. As a humanities scholar in cinema studies, with a background also in aesthetics, uh, I wanted with a couple of colleagues to start an interdisciplinary journal on aesthetics and culture. And our first choice became to create an open access journal. At the time, one of the first Sweden-based within humanities, we wanted to try something new. Later, as board member of the European Society for Cinema and Media Studies, I was also active in starting Nexus, the Nex journal, a European open access journal. All this also made me engage more generally in questions of open access and open science, as I acquired some knowledge along the road, thanks to my excellent head librarian, Wilhelm Widmark, and other expert colleagues. This early period, when I approached open science as a researcher, led me to a number of solid convictions. That open science is a question of democracy more than anything else that open access is also a necessity because researchers need to take back control over their scientific output from the publishers who have for all too long been allowed by researchers and university leadership alike to dominate the scene, to get paid in a changing publishing landscape, both for the rights to read and for the rights to publish, with the researchers at the same time doing all the necessary work of quality control through peer through peer review, completely for free. Indeed, what a business model. In 2013, I became rector, president, vice chancellor, or whatever you prefer to call it, at Stockholm University. I took office with my engagement in questions of open science, but it took, as you heard from the presentation, until 2016 for me to take a national responsibility. By that time, the position was open as chair of the BibSum Consortium, which is formally placed at the National Library of Sweden, but consists of all the universities, university colleges, and other state authorities that need access to scientific journals. My predecessor as a chair was a very engaged colleague from a small university college, and she strongly advised me not to accept the position. She said that this is the most difficult task I've ever had. It is way too technical. So what then led me to ignore her advice? Well, I don't totally agree with my colleague that these questions often tend to become too technical, but I consider this as a major risk. University presidents in general should engage in these issues, and when they don't, which is unfortunately sometimes the case, or perhaps even often, I don't know, uh, this has to do with the fact that matters seem too complicated, and they see and understand that expertise is needed. And this is of course true. And I myself heavily rely on this expertise. But I still believe that questions of open science are really questions for the university leadership and that the national consortia or their equivalents also need to be chaired by rectors or presidents from strong research universities in close contact and dialogue with the expertise in the university libraries. As university president, by engaging in open science, I signal the importance of these issues, not only to researchers and students within my own university, but also to financiers and publishers. By engaging, I've learned more, and I'm thus able to argue with the researchers who worry about research quality being threatened by open access through predatory journals and other evils. By learning more, I also better understand the many complexities and challenges in the transition process, and I will come back to those. But first, let me illustrate uh, and take the BIBSA negotiations with Elsevier as an example. Our national rectors conference in Sweden meets for a general assembly twice a year, And previously, if at all, the head librarian at some university had used to give a short update on the negotiations with different publishers, often a bit technical. Uh, And what I learned was that even a simple expert vocabulary like talking about APCs for someone who had never heard the word or the uh, abbreviation could lead the audience uh, to distance themselves and to feel a bit alienated. So when I became chair uh, of Bibsam together with, with Wilhelm Widmerk, we decided to change that. So I gave a presentation instead, and I then started on a very general level, not going into technical details at all. I rather tried to focus on the overall question of the system of scientific communication as such, how we as researchers have left the stage empty for the publishers, how we work for free by writing the articles and peer reviewing them, uh, thus justifying a quality which in turn justifies an increasingly expensive deals. And where now, through increasing costs, both on subscriptions and on publishing, we have reached way's end. The system, I argued, needs to be changed into a sustainable one, where researchers take back the initiative and take control over their scientific publications. And there is enough money in the system already. I also informed my colleagues, to their great surprise, that we had, at that time, no control whatsoever of the publishing costs, because some of them were paid by the researcher, some by the department, some by the university library, depending on the organization at each university. This led to an unanimous recommendation from the General Assembly of the presidents to the universities to collect data on APC costs which became very useful for our strategies and our practical work. So far, so good. Now, open science is a standard item on the meeting agendas for the General Assembly. These short presentations, where I have had expert advice from the librarians both at Stockholm University and the National Library of Sweden, have always started on the strategic level about the necessary transition that everybody agrees upon, and this has provided a useful framework for concrete updates on different negotiations. After a series of such presentations came the critical moment in our negotiations with Elsevier, I presented both options as objectively as possible to my colleagues, either to conclude the deal with the obvious advantages this included, or to follow in the footsteps of Germany and try to really change the international market for scientific communication. On the positive side, I pointed out that the offer was not bad at all, and that this would be the least disturbing alternative for the researchers. On the negative side, I emphasized that Elsevier would then succeed once again in separating subscription licenses from APCs as belonging to two completely incompatible business models, and this indeed is a critical basic principle because this would never allow for a transition to Open Access. I really didn't know what to expect in response, but what happened was that I got totally unanimous support for the second option. And it was thus with this very clearly expressed opinion from the presidents that we could tell Elsevier that we would not be able to accept their offer. This was obviously not very well received by our counterpart. Uh, They responded that they thought that we had been negotiating in good faith, which was absolutely true within the framework of the negotiation committee. But it also showed that the question had now turned from being only a question of numbers and more technical issues to really becoming a strategic question, a strategic matter for the university leadership level. What kind of scientific publications, models do we envision for the future? how does this need to affect our governance at the universities? This was the question that all my colleagues posed themselves on that general assembly. At some point in the negotiations we also started to have a few high-level meetings, and this has become true not only of the Elsevier negotiations but also in negotiations with other big publishers. In the ordinary negotiations I never take part, but these high-level meetings I've chaired, and they of course include high representatives for the publisher in question, but also from the Swedish side, uh, high representatives for the government, uh, as well as the director of the uh, the Swedish Research Council and the National Librarian of Sweden. This is, of course, to emphasize not only the strategic importance of the deal as such, but also that it includes all parties with interest in the transition in addition to the university libraries, without in any way reducing their importance. So our former agreement with Elsevier was not renewed and we lost access to their journals. At that time, in order to keep up the courage of the presidents, we invited Professor Hippler, responsible for Project Deal, to our General Assembly. This sharing of international experiences, because he told us of the DEAL project, is of utmost importance, and it is also quite natural for academia, which is used to operate and cooperate across borders. Now that we have restarted our negotiations with Elsevier after signing a memorandum of understanding as a result of one of those meetings, that was because they, following the appointment of a new CEO, have completely changed their position regarding the crucial matter that made the Rector's Conference or the General Assembly decide in favor of not uh, concluding the former deal, that is, in changing from two separate money flow models to one, thus making a transformative agreement possible with the shift from reading to publishing. But we are by far not finished with these negotiations yet. To sum up the second part of my talk on the level of change from the open science question being primarily the responsibility of librarians to involving university leadership, I would say that it has not been entirely simple. In my experience, the difficulty has not been so much to involve my fellow presidents who have really understood why they had to engage, but the fact that This, by some of the librarians, was perceived as a kind of lack of confidence in their work and a takeover of their responsibilities. Also, for the negotiation committees, which are populated mostly by librarians, the task became difficult. Their role, all of a sudden, seemed to become unclear. Which questions are the committees supposed to resolve, and when should they be replaced by high-level meetings? What is their work and their expertise worth? I would say everything. But it is the question of different strategic roles where an internal dialogue within the universities is necessary. It has turned out that an internal problem at the universities has been that the relationship between the head librarian and the university president differs a lot between different universities. At some places, the librarian reports directly to the president, whereas others never, or at least very seldom, seem to ever even meet with our presidents. I think this tension is inevitable in a rapidly changing system, such as the one we are experiencing today. And I think there is only one solution, time-consuming but necessary, and that is dialogue, dialogue, and dialogue again, and to show respect for our different roles in the system. This also leads over to some of the challenges that I've encountered during my work and that we all face in the transitional process. And here I would like to broaden the perspective from the negotiations with publishers only. Parallel to chairing the BibSum Consortium, I've also now for a couple of years been chairing a group uh, for open access at the National Library of Sweden with participants from university leadership, libraries, research finances, and representatives for the research community. As the National Library had a special assignment from the government to coordinate the transition to open access, this group decided to produce a number of reports on the different aspects of this transition. These were produced in subgroups with the same broad composition and coordinated by executive secretaries from the National Library. For a long time there seemed to be an impossible mission. But in February, a general report, together with five more specialized reports, were finalized and delivered to the government. These dealt with the system for assessing merits and distributing research funding in relation to open access, the financing of transition from a licensed subscription model to an OA model, open access to books, the need for economical and technical support to open access journals, and finally, uh, the follow-up of open access requirements. All these reports include 16 recommendations for national solutions. Two challenges became particularly clear from these reports. The first challenge concerns the funding streams. There is a whole chain that needs to function well, but which is difficult to manage. And I already touched upon the subject. The presidents may tend to a bit easily embrace the open access principles, which makes their librarians completely lose courage as there is not enough money in their budgets. When, if the presidents even become aware of this, they either tell their librarians that uh, they will have to manage, or they see that this is a strategic cost and assign some more funding. But in either case, it is not enough to solve the problem within the individual university. There will be transition costs and it is necessary that not only presidents and librarians connect, but also that universities and funding bodies join forces and share the responsibility for financing publication costs. In Sweden, we have just reached a deal with Springer Nature, where the largest Swedish research funders finance 50% and the members of the BibSAM consortium, the remaining 50%, and I consider this a very important breakthrough. The second challenge, which is even greater, concerns the assessment of merits and the evaluation of research quality and impact, which of course has lots of consequences, both for individual researchers, for universities, and for the funding agencies. It concerns hiring processes as well as distribution of funding. This is an enormous challenge in itself, and it has implications on our way of handling these absolutely fundamental matters. For me as university president, it led to the decision uh, that Stockholm University should sign DORA, the San Francisco Declaration on Research Assessment, which has gained new significance in the light of the transition to open access. A number of themes run through the recommendations in the declaration. The need to eliminate the use of journal-based metrics, such as journal impact factors in funding, appointment, and promotion considerations the need to assess research on its own merits, the need to capitalize on the opportunities provided by online publication. But I think that these measures need to be taken not only to serve the purpose of implementing open access, but in order to ensure research quality in general. Because the current research publishing system has in many ways reached way's end, promoting quantity with journal impact factors as the main quality guarantee rather than assessing the actual quality of research. thus also promoting a more fragmented output in order to get a larger number of publications. And finally also risking to promote secure research results which are uh, more safe to publish in high impact factor journals rather than high risk projects which could lead to real research renewal. But which history tells us are not often at first recognized as such. Also, the peer review system, in which I firmly believe, is today under the threat of imploding with the number of publications steadily increasing and the pressure on researchers to carry the double burden of both publishing more in order not to perish and peer reviewing more to support other researchers' increasing needs of frequent publishing. But on a more general level, to go back to the structural problem, I would say that a main issue is the collision that inevitably takes place between top-down and bottom-up perspectives. In the EU, our governments support open science. They do so for political reasons, but let us not forget that their politics is here grounded in a view initiated and originally driven by researchers. So if the EU, for example, wants to promote OA, how can they make the universities follow? And to the extent that they do, how can we as university leadership make our researchers follow? A very clear example is, of course, the problematics which I've already mentioned, uh, Plan S or Coalition S, where there have been many misunderstandings. While some university presidents, working strategically with transition politics, have considered it a necessary step in order to put enough pressure on the publishers to actually flip the system, others rather act on behalf of their researchers and see it as a major threat to the researcher's right to publish or even to academic freedom. They fear that the transition will only happen in Europe and that the rest of the world will not follow, which would be really harmful. They fear that this would lead to considerably weakened research quality, to less impact of the universities, to terrible consequences for individual universities' position on the ranking lists, etc. I think this emphasizes the importance of always talking first about quality when talking about open access. There is absolutely no contradiction between them, but there are a number of matters that have to be resolved. I really believe in international gatherings like the Berlin Open Access Summit last fall, where participants from all over the world and from all categories, so to speak, of people that have interest in OA questions meet and discuss, because this creates connections and strengthens relations in the global academic community to help us tackling the challenges ahead. In this connection, a few words must be said about the young researchers who in many cases have expressed their concern. They are raised within and they have learned to adapt to the existing system and here all of a sudden it seems to be collapsing. What will happen to them, to their careers, to their future as scientists? In many universities we have had open hearings on Plan S, and at Stockholm University, where I myself took part, I thought it was an important signal, I had some quite aggressive questions from young researchers asking whether I would forbid them to publish in excellent journals in the future. Uh, I think these questions need to be taken seriously. On the other hand, some young researchers being more positive, uh, like I was told by my head librarian, uh, a number of doctoral students in science at Stockholm University rather ask why the senior scientists, their supervisors, are so invisible or not present in the transition process, if our president is now so progressive. But we should not forget either that there are a great number of bottom-up initiatives, like alternative publication platforms taken by researchers that need to be recognized at the leadership level, but also to be promoted uh, and also given the right place in the transition process. Personally, I am convinced that the present system is much more of, the th- of a threat to the real quality of research and would risk to harm the rung- young researchers much more in the long run. If we instead ex- assess scientific quality by real peer review, that is by reading the research instead of counting numbers of articles and journal impact factors, this will also promote true quality and benefit groundbreaking work done by young researchers finally i promise to say a few words about research data and here my perspective will be very swedish and i know that many other countries lie far ahead of sweden where recently in collaboration between the swedish research council and the universities an outlook for a national roadmap for e-infrastructures for research was produced. This report notes uh, that the landscape in Sweden is very fragmented and proposes in all 11 recommendations on how to continue the work for developing a coherent national strategy and roadmap for e-infrastructures for research. A specific concluding recommendation Panel is to adopt an encompassing national e-infrastructure coordination and even considering organizational mergers. But of course a national roadmap is not enough as this connects to so many international contexts, not least of course the European Science Cloud. This work has just started in collaboration between the Re- Research councils, Council and the universities, and they in turn have dialogue with the national library. This illustrates that in all questions concerning the very broad vision for open science, there has to be lots and lots of dialogue, of common problem solving, and of working across different institutions, nationally and internationally. In Sweden, questions of open data have to a large extent been left to ICT people. But the main responsibility for e infrastructure research must lie with the universities and research institutes. It is crucial not just to let it out to any external agency, but to take full responsibility in cooperation with others. Because just like with Open Access, issues of open data need to engage not only funding agencies or specialists, but research libraries and university leaderships alike. The challenges are enormous, but our shared vision of the transition to open science makes it worth overcoming them in close dialogue with all parties involved. Already in 1945, in his report, Science, the Endless Frontier, Vannevar Bush argued that universities should make knowledge freely available for all in order to promote business as well as society in general. This is indeed an agenda. Of research libraries for society. Bush's beautiful metaphor that everybody should be able to drink freely from the open pool of knowledge must have seemed utopical at the time. Today we are well on our way of realizing it. Thank you.
1: Thank you very much, this was fabulous. So it, it shows, clearly shows how important leadership is. So you, you really are role model, modeling in this. So I, I admire your, your work very much. Okay, now it's time for, for questions. And uh, So you can use this visual reporting really to formulate uh, questions if, if needed. But I'd, I'd like to ask one, one question for first. So many, many of the presidents, rectors, and, and librarians are very afraid what will happen to research and researchers if, if if we cancel some deals. So, what kind of experiences do you have in in Sweden after you cancelled Elsevier?
0: Well, uh, I think uh, there will be another presentation talking more about that during this conference, which I highly recommend. There have been. Uh, mixed reactions. Of course, some researchers are unhappy that they can't access what they need, but many find alternative ways. They are very creative, also. And but what has impressed us the most is the very, very strong support that we have uh, got from many, many researchers who really say that this is the way to go, and we support. Your work entirely
1: I think it would be very good if you somehow could make a report or communicate the yeah. in, the feelings of researchers it is, uh, it
0: is on its way it's under, the, very very good yeah, sort of I think work. we
1: all, all need this okay uh, I will open floor for questions and there is also another room so if you have questions there in, in the other room please come here and and you can also uh, attend the discussion but there is here one question in the front, Catriona McCollum.
2: Hello. Um, thank you. Um, I'm director of um, open science at Hindawi. Um, I, really support, uh, I really support your point about institutions collaborating with funders over the, the issue because it seems to me that a lot of the stagnation has been because the different parties within the Academy haven't been speaking to to each other enough, which has allowed the traditional publishers to maintain the status quo. What role, uh, therefore, do you see for learned and scholarly societies who are publishers um, as part of that dialogue, um, especially given their unique role that they are generally run by researchers, but often um, in the throes of the traditional publishing business models?
0: Uh, I think that is something to be much more explored and that we have, that is something that we have not done well enough, we haven't had that dialogue open and I think it is starting now on some, at some, on some place, in some places and I think that is really a key because that is also one of the main objections from many uh, to the plan S, <laughs> the coalition S, that it does not only affect the commercial publishers but also the learned Society. So I, I totally agree, we do have to join forces also with, with, with them.
1: Okay, now we have one question here in the front and and, and saw another hand in the back. So we start from here and then come to the
3: up. Thank you very much. Uh, András Hall, Hungarian Academy of Sciences. I would ask your opinion uh, uh, about the following uh, problem. Uh, In general, I'm uh, convinced, just like you, that the transition is possible and necessary, but If we look at the fine details, there will be different disciplines and different groups, age groups or or researcher groups, which could be adversely uh, affected by the transition. How do you propose to identify those spots and what action do you propose uh, to help uh, those uh, 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 groups which which could be uh, affected?
0: Yeah, I agree that uh, that there are groups that may be affected, but I would also say that also in today's system, there are groups that are affected. So in a way, I think this is also, uh, I didn't mention that in my talk, but that is really one of the questions why uh, university leadership need to engage as well, because they have the knowledge, the overall knowledge of different disciplines and the different problems. So uh, of course I cannot give a general (laughs) response that includes all, affected disciplines, but I, I share your opinion that this is something that we will have to deal with, and of course if I knew the answers I could give you a short one, but, but this will also be that much demanding work lies ahead of us, I think.
3: Thank you. I would like to, uh, Chris Morawski from F1000, I would like you to, to thank you very much for this presentation. It was absolutely great because you showed the way from the details to the big perspective and of, uh, into how much is at stake, basically, the, the quality of, of the top research. So it was it was really brilliant. Uh, and, and to show the, the challenges at the national level of of all the stakeholders involved and all the difficulties of moving from one model to another uh, you, you also mentioned a little bit the, the international perspective how do you think could you perhaps uh, develop it a b- bit more because i think that to make this transition happen more international resolve it needs to be built into the negotiations with the publishers and into really creating this new outlook of research, of evaluation of research and of channeling the funds for research because that's basically what's, what's at stake.
0: Yes, uh, we have a problem here because we are national states and of course the publishers have to make deals with each country and that is something that has legal reasons but uh, on the other hand we all belong to uh, as researchers we all belong to an academic community and which is by, by definition international so, uh, so I think that uh, uh, I'm also very happy that several uh, like the European University Association has increasingly brought up this as a topic so it, it has become something that is really discussed also among university leaderships in Europe. And I as I mentioned the Berlin Conference, which I was very pleased to learn that there will be a follow-up. Uh, these international gatherings where you actually meet uh, internationally are, are really important, but also the informal exchanges that I know that our librarians have with our colleagues in other countries. So I, I really think uh, and I think that. This should not be taboo. We are not very happy when the publishers try to, you know, divide the different countries against <laughs> each other, and we strongly oppose that. We, we do collaborate and we see one common, <laughs> that, that c- cannot be national solutions, they, it, they must all be seen in an international context.
1: Okay, do, do we have more questions? from the audience at the moment? Yes, I see one hand here in, in the front. So it's Katriona.
2: I'm not sure if I'm allowed to, but one one is, one the first question is, is you, your focus is very much on the evaluation system, uh, which is the biggest barrier to everything and maintains everything. Um, and then the, the specific uh, financial, um, challenges of, of uh, open access and, and APCs and, and other things. Where uh, do you see the role of uh, institutions in um, the sort of infrastructure for the dissemination and discovery of science, because it seems to me that there are not just publishers, but others, for example, Google and Google Data now, beginning to take over some of the discovery and dissemination services, and do you see any, any risk from either, um, either quarter of, uh, uh, that could be mitigated by universities in terms of that infrastructure piece? This is a difficult one. I must say that I have
0: too poor knowledge of, of, of these. Uh, to to really be able to give a a substantial answer. But but it is definitely something that we would have to uh, keep our eyes on.
1: So I have one question, if they are at the moment, no more questions from the audience. Um, And this is about uh, green open access. So we know that uh, research organizations, very typically, they, they have their institutional repositories and um, we have heard during this conference already that uh, there are quite many librarians who are quite strongly for green, open open access. Uh, so what is your position, opinion on, on green?
0: I thought that or in my world, in my view, the green open access belongs to the past. Uh, I've been a strong promoter of gold open access ever since the start. And now we are trying to not even use the term gold anymore. We rather talk about direct and immediate open access. So that is, I think the the, the way to follow.
1: Okay, so more questions? If not, uh, we thank Astrid again for Wonderful talk, so thank you very much. Thank you.